Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and very glad today to welcome a couple of good friends and unofficial mentors of mine to the podcast table. That's Byron Shearer and Chris Miller. And these gentlemen are here to discuss our latest sermon here at Grace Baptist Church as Tim Cockrell this past week shared a message from Exodus chapter 7 verse 14 through the end of chapter 10. And so, Byron, Chris, I always look forward to interacting with both of you with the Word of God alongside us, and thanks so much for jumping in with us. Thanks for volunteering, or was that a voluntold, uh, to be here with us at this really critical juncture in the story, one of many critical junctures throughout Exodus. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to talk about the plagues of Egypt? (laughs) And here we are early on a Tuesday morning to do that. Glad to have you. So, okay, so here's this this first shot. Byron, I'm going to shoot this at you. It's kind of a catch-up question from one of our listeners who's been doing, we'll call it some extra credit homework, evidently. In reading Hebrews 11, they noted in verse 28 concerning Moses that, and I'm quoting here, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So, how does this line up with the account from Exodus chapter 2 when Moses fled the land? And there is even in the preceding verse where he fled, it says there was fear. Yeah, that's a What's good, going on here? Boy, that's a good question. And I think basically it's one of the uh, crux issues here in this whole chapter because, uh, because the, re- the difference was the difference between chapter 2 of, uh, of Exodus and chapter 3 of Exodus. In chapter two of Exodus, of course, he was leaving and and he was in the wilderness. But in chapter three, he encountered God at the, at the burning bush, and that made all the difference. I mean, and so so he wasn't here. Here was Moses doing stuff in his own strength and d- discovered his own weaknesses, and as a matter of fact, even declared his own weaknesses before the Lord. But and then and then God says, "I am," and so he's going he's going to Egypt in the power of God. And, and that made all the difference. The, the other very interesting thing about this is that he didn't go alone. You know, God in his, his great grace provided a partner. And, um, and, and, and so here he's going with, he's going with Aaron too. And it, it gives us a, an, an interesting uh, illustration of what God is doing in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, people aren't supposed to be ministering by themselves. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, this was a classical illustration of, of how ministry should be done. And so, um, and so Moses is, is going in the power of God, but he's also going with a partner. Very good. And I can tell you, as somebody who actually works with his brother, when he's gone, I'm able to pick up. When I'm gone, he's able to pick up. But when we're together, uh, well, we get along even better today than we ever did when we were growing up. But no, there is something in that, certainly in that side-by-side rubbing shoulders and, and keeping each other accountable, too. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, speaking of partners, can I speak up? Please, jump that, in. that was excellent. I think the difference between Exodus 2 and 3 is, is really important. It's also true that when you look in Hebrews chapter 11, you see a lot of grace displayed because we talk about Samson and Barak and others. What are they doing in there? They're, they, I think what they're doing in there is the fact that they allow entrance to Bart and to Chris and to Byron 
to be in there too, that it is a gracious way to say, yeah, he was afraid, uh, um, Moses was afraid, and he did leave, and he was, he did think he could deliver them all by himself, but there was a spark of faith in there that God grew over time. And I, and I think that's sweet to, to think about how young believers and immature believers, all of us as we're in various stages of progression, uh, are sometimes misguided, sometimes overestimate ourselves, underestimate God. But there, there's a start, there's a sense of faith here that God can do this and God builds that faith and, and, and straightens out our convictions as we move. It reminds me of the statement that, and I want to be careful here because we're called to be perfect, we're called to holiness, but perfect can sometimes be the enemy of good if we overlook the little things God is doing in our lives and the little victories, mm -hmm. uh, it can really put us back. We need to grab a hold of a lot of that seemingly little stuff and say, look at what God did. Yeah, and it's often in the process of this work that God <clears throat> sanctifies us and teaches us and grows us through those experiences. Great, great. I appreciate the comments, guys. Well, okay, so during our discussion last week with Tim Cockrell, Tim talked about the, the entire story of Exodus being anticipatory to the gospel. Uh, in other words, God uses so much of what we read in this narrative here in Exodus to teach us about the gospel and about our need for God's work in our lives. And in that context, it, it seems to me that we also learn some things about Satan. We, we see God throughout the, the book. We see him here in the burning bush. We see him taking care, sending Moses, taking care of the Israelites. But do we not also see Satan? Either of you want to comment on that? Yeah, that we certainly do see the gospel because God is simply doing with the nation of Israel what he wants to do with every individual after that. So we see the salvation, the redemption from slavery. But you also see the pull, as I thought Pastor Tim did an excellent job of talking about the pull of the counterfeit gods and the counterfeit supernaturally evil system there as well. You certainly saw that with their magicians that had some sort of supernatural evil power to produce some of those miracles, that this was a very counterfeit system of gods, uh, very complex, supernaturally inspired, that, that kind of lifts the hood, lifts the veil, and lets us see behind it. This is not just a secular culture. It's a secular culture that's a part of the world system run by Satan. And so it is vying for um, the glory, as Pastor Tim called Pharaoh often a glory stealer, something like that. And, and it is a spiritual battle, uh, ultimately, between uh, the, 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 the Satan and God himself. And so when God speaks about his glory and being glorified, and we'll get to this in some of the other questions, um, it is because there's someone out there trying to steal it and trying to pull people away to something which is false and can't satisfy. Yeah, and it's really interesting because not only was the, was the um, do you see the power of Satan in, in the first couple of miracles, but you also see the deviousness of, of Satan in the reaction of Pharaoh. You know, he, okay, you can leave, but you can only leave, you can't leave the country. Yeah. You can you can yep. serve the Lord, but you can't leave the country. Or you can serve the Lord, but but you can only take the men. Or you can serve the Lord, but you can only, you can't take the animals. Mm -hmm. And so he, all this all this compromise. Okay, don't don't be involved in total giving to to the Lord. You know, you can compromise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very reasonable compromises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the limitations of Satan? 
I mean, Satan is the great deceiver, the great imitator, and everything seems like everything he does, he's he's trying to be God, he's imitating God. Mm-hmm. Is there not a level of, uh, or, or this story showing a, a strong level of limitation? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely, because they can only they can only duplicate a couple of the miracles, but they can duplicate some because there is a power out there, and. And the reason why God says not to go to these people or tell Saul not to go to the witch at Endor is not because they're frauds, because they do have some supernatural power. Uh, but it takes supernaturally good power to overcome that. Yeah, and then, and then, and then the Lord is showing the, the power of God over, over all these gods and preparing his people to know that they, I mean, one miracle after another is a, is a reflection of who God is and, the, and giving them the confidence that they can leave under this God, almighty God. And what is it about gnats that they can't? produce gnats i don't get that okay let's move on so so tim points out that pharaoh hardened his heart and that's noted by my count six times throughout chapters seven through nine but then after the sixth plague the the coming of the boils on the people's bodies god hardened pharaoh's heart so first question byron what do we learn about god from this situation well this is this is, reminds me of, of Romans chapter 1, really. You know, um, the people, you know, in Romans chapter 1, the people are constantly turning against God, refusing to, to even even the, the simple things that God shows people to indicate who he is, they reject. And, and in Romans 1 says, or in Romans chapter 1, it says that God just gave them up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what he does here. Yeah. You know, the constant, obstinate Pharaoh, you know, says, that says, I'll do something and then turns his, tur- you know, then turns his, uh, changes his mind and then, and then uh, comes back and, and, uh, and, and refuses to let them go. I mean, just constantly uh, being deceptive. And, you know, it's, it's. It, it's a sign of, the, of this obstinance. So basically what the Lord is doing is just turning him over to his own obstinance. So there are limits with God? Wow. Well, of course there are limits, with, just like there are limits with a parent, right? When, when a child pushes you so far, you say, okay, that's enough. You've, you've made your choices, and now you're going to face, face the consequences for it. I think we should also say, well, I think Byron's uh, calling in here, Romans chapter 1 is exactly right. Uh, God has given them over to their own devices in much the same way the, even even the father of the prodigal son allows him to go to the far country hoping that he will come to his senses and if he doesn't then he's he stays there but but in this case uh, what God is doing here is not forcing him against his will but strengthening him in him in it because the same word is used where David strengthened himself in the Lord or today we might use the word uh, someone was was on the precipice, but they strength they stiffened their resolve. So you you gather all your forces within you, and and you say, "This is what I really want to do, and I'm going to go do it." And so, God says, "If that's what you really want to do, we will uh, take away your fears and allow you to do what you wanted to do." Yeah. So he heads to his own destruction. And you know, hard times come with all, to all of us, really. I mean, there's difficult times in all of our lives, and what God's doing is he's he's basically saying, "Trust me." Mm. And um, and and so you know you can you can turn your trust to him, or you can turn away from him. And um, and so, I think it's I think it's a warning to us too. 
And it's interesting to me, as I think of great leaders in Scripture, great secular leaders uh, from the world system, I think of Pharaoh. But I also think of another guy, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, yes. Now there's, and God does something totally different. Uh, God will do what he will do. And there's, uh, so I, I look also, and I wonder in thinking about this, I wonder if there aren't, isn't some good parenting advice maybe here. And I don't, I don't want to take this too far, but uh, there are times when we need to allow our children to suffer through some of the results of their inclinations, of their uh, 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 rebellion. Oh, absolutely. When you're dealing with, with persons with a free will, uh, you, you can't enslave them again. You have to. They're already there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, have to, you have to teach them to make their own choices. And this, allow them. I think God suffers through some of the results. I think God started that in Genesis three, didn't He? I think He probably did. <laughs> well, uh, there's a follow-up question here, and I think it, it, we need to ask it, and that is this: God can turn the heart of the most wicked person to Himself, and we we see Nebuchadnezzar mentioned that. What chance then does Pharaoh even have if God, the Creator, hardens his heart? Is that not is that not fair? Um, it was completely fair because Pharaoh had his chances. As Byron said, he had six chances at least, and he chose to ignore all of them. And so what happens here in the, the final times where God hardens his heart is these are, in fact, judgments from God on him uh, for what he has chosen. And so God allows him to go to his own destruction, even though he knows this is what's going to happen. So it's a, it is a judgment on God, and it is, uh, it is not mercy. The time for mercy has passed. And God knows exactly when that line is. Um, and so he executes it. Very good. So we're talking and we're seeing a lot about God's sovereignty. You just mentioned it there. God mm -hmm. knows and he is perfectly capable and worthy of mm -hmm. doing what he sees fit to do. But we're seeing a lot of this throughout this part of the story. And we began our worship on Sunday reading corporately from chapter 9 there in Exodus. And I, I want to focus specifically on a couple, th you know, two or three of those verses there in verses 15 through 17. Uh, the scripture says, for now, I, and, and this is God talking, Jehovah God, for now I could put out my hand and could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, are there other circumstances throughout Scripture and, and maybe in particular in the Old Testament, maybe the New Testament as well, when God did something similar? Is this natural for God to do? <laughs> I, <clears throat> One of the things I want to say about this is that, um, is that the Israelites referred back to this particular situation over and over and over every year of their life. You're talking about the plagues. The, the plagues and the, and the Passover. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, this is a reminder who I am in relationship to the most dominant world leader of the time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I will do my, I will, do my will in, a, in, the, in the midst of any, supreme, any other supreme earthly power. Okay? Um, now, did, has, did something like this happen? You mentioned Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, I mean, it, here's, a, here's a person that exalted himself. And, and, um, and I also think about the, the prophets of Baal. You know, they, were, they went up against Elijah and, and they suffered the consequences. So God did do some amazingly supernatural things 
in relationship to proving who he was. But um, but this this is this particular one was dynamic. Mm-hmm. I can think of one more. Oh, good. <laughs> when God allowed the Romans and the uh, Sanhedrin to take their desire to their end and commit the most heinous act of all time, mm-hmm. but God is able to take those things and show His glory in them and use them to save the world. And I think, speaking of saving the world, we should we need to talk about what God's purpose was here. I've raised you up to show my power so my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's not just so God will feel good about himself, but that's exactly what Rahab says in Jericho. When we heard what your God did to the Egyptians, then we knew that your God was the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and our hearts melted within us. So this is God's graciousness showing his power. Exactly. It's, it's as though if we could paraphrase it, I think it would be God saying to Pharaoh, now I could stop you from being evil here, um, and that would be good for you, but if you're going to persist in being evil, then I will allow you to do that in order to show my power over that so that other people may see who is really in charge, yeah. where salvation lies. Okay, now let's take this a little different direction. Okay. We have in <clears throat> we have in Egypt we have Pharaoh, mm-hmm. and then we have everybody else who's under Pharaoh's rule. Yep, we'll call them the innocents. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to see next week. We know what's coming. Mm-hmm. It's plague number ten. It's the taking of the firstborn. Yep, and I think there's some justification to saying that these are the innocents. We can we can make that argument perhaps. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to the person who reads this passage and others like it throughout Scripture? I think of the Assyrians when God, Isaiah chapter 10, he talks about the Assyrians and Isaiah is prophesying that, hey, I'm using this people to burden Israel and to punish Israel. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to punish them for doing it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what do you say to a God or to people who say God, at least the God of the Old Testament, is a despotic narcissist who can't be trusted. <laughs> uh, Am I too bold? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because no, there are not a lot of people who would say that, yeah. and and that that proves that they have not read the text very carefully. Okay. Uh, because the, the the truth is absolutely the opposite. The, the The fact that God wants His glory proclaimed is not for His own benefit. He doesn't need that. He doesn't gain anything from our applause. But the whole point is that the rest of the world gains when they see who he is. I, I've often thought about uh, a story to try to help drive this home. And let, let me just try this silly little story on you. Let's say, um, you know, where it's in 1960 and you go to the Amazon and you find an Amazon tribe that has no contact with civilization. Think of the Jim Elliott time situation, mm-hmm. I guess. But, but everyone's dying of a bacterial infection and you have penicillin. And when you go in there and you have that, and there are witch doctors who have sugar water and they're trying to convince the people to follow that, but you have what is the cure, how are you going to feel about that and how are you going to respond to the other people who offer their cures? Well, if it's, if it's a matter of life and death and you have the truth and you know it, you're going to do everything you can to convince people for their own good that it is true. Not for your good, but for their good. I, I think that's part of what's going on in this whole story. God's raising Pharaoh up to, in order to demonstrate to the world, here's a little bit of mini judgment in this Passover, so that if you look to this and you turn to God who is in charge, then you can avoid the ultimate judgment of all time 
and be with him forever. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a merciful thing to do. Yeah, yeah and those, <clears throat> and you said, you said, uh, who can't be trusted? Well, the truth is, you know, look at those who did trust. You know, they were blessed. They had mercy. They found grace in the Lord. You know, they lived. That, yeah, they, they lived. lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, and, and the, the amazing thing about the next story is that, you know, Pharaoh says, don't, I won't, don't want to see you anymore. Okay. I'm done with you, you know, after the ninth plague. And so, so how is he going to hear about anything in the 10th plague? And what happened was that God set up an opportunity for the Israelites and all the people to be witnesses to the power of God and to say this judgment is coming, mm-hmm. and and they and even the Egyptians had an opportunity to to respond to the grace of the Lord to 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 do the same thing that the Israelites did and protect their young. Yeah, Amen. And Pastor yeah. Tim hinted at that last week when he talked about the mixed multitude. I always heard that as a bad term, derogatory term, but I don't think it is. It is simply meaning that there were Israelites and Egyptians who came to faith and used the blood of the lamb and secured their salvation. They're children of Abraham by faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Gentiles. Very good. Well, I so appreciated the emphasis on the biblical doctrine that it is by God's grace that the nation of Israel is led out of captivity. It wasn't about anything about them. In fact, I've heard some people, and I don't know about this. Maybe you can give your thoughts on this. I've heard some people suggest that God chose Israel specifically because... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, specifically because those three and their their descendants were maybe the most obstinate. I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. But how freeing is that whole thought, that doctrine of grace to you and me when, when we finally understand that there's nothing we could do? And this, again, anticipatory, talking about salvation by grace through faith that Paul talks about there in Ephesians. But, but how freeing is that? There was nothing that we did to warrant God's salvation. There's nothing we can do to keep it. We're firmly in the hands of the sovereign God, Jehovah. Yeah. yeah. Even even the Lord said, you know, I didn't choose you because you were great. I chose you. I chose you because you're weak. Because you were because you were the least of the people. And it's so cool. I think you're great, Byron. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> wonderful to, to know that God, that you know, that it's it's God's great grace that is exhibited in our salvation, I mean, through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's, um, it's an amazing thing to know that God reached down toward us with his mercy, just like he did the Israelites. Yeah, over and over and over again, God does unexpected things by people that he chooses. And you yeah. think about the disciples. They, they were such a ragtag group of guys. And same thing here with Israel. And as you said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... You take a careful look at the stories of those people, and they they did dumb things. Bart, it gives me hope. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. There's a Pam Miller out there saying amen, perhaps. (laughs) Probably so. We, uh, we, and we all have that, but that, that does, as I was thinking through this, it does give me great hope. Uh, it gives, it should give great hope to that one there, uh, who is, whether they're sitting in a jail cell, whether they're sitting in, in their home, just saying, boy, I really screwed this up. They're looking at the banker and saying, oh my, there's no more money. Is there, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, or what have I done to my children, my mm-hmm. wife, what have you, or my husband or so forth. Great hope that God is a redeeming God. He's a gracious God. And there is a point if we stay firm in our sin mm-hmm. and firm in our rebellion that God might say, okay, I've had enough, it's mm-hmm. time. But uh, God is gracious. Mm-hmm. 
What else strikes your mind? Anything else that you want to want to share? And, or maybe about what's coming up next week? Mm, I think next week will be an exciting one. I'm just so happy for Pastor Tim's ministry and the way he makes these things so practical for us. Uh, I learned a lot thinking through those plagues with him and the, uh, the, 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 the application to us today of the kinds of gods that we have in our culture. And it helped me to see them as not just a culture, but as part of the satanically oriented cosmetic cosmos system, the world system that the, that the Bible talks about, and make me more alert about spiritual battles. But coming up, uh, Passover and the basis of um, the Passover feast and communion and how Jesus turned that Passover feast into the Lord's Supper, uh, some sweet foundations for all of us um, in the church, even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this week. Yeah, and you know, I I reflected on Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter four, where where uh, Paul was talking about his own ministry, and he said, "In their case, the God of this world blind, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God." And then he says, "For we proclaim it, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, with ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake." For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to the, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a great place to end. Byron, Chris, thanks for joining me early on a Tuesday morning. Appreciate you being here. A big thanks to Byron Shearer and Chris Miller for joining me for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing our recent sermon series in Exodus and specifically chapters 7 through 10 this week. You can access that message from Grace Baptist Church on demand through YouTube, and you can access each podcast episode by using your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. A special shout out to that one who did so this week. You can email them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And please plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in Exodus chapters 11 through 13. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.